Hello and welcome to another episode of the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. I'm Chris and I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host Tom. Hello. And we have just watched Robert Brisson's 1951 film Diary of a Wimpy... I mean, Diary of a Country Priest. (laughs) Tyler Perry's... Diary of a Mad Boy. I don't know. So many jokes to be made about Diary of a dot dot dot. Diary of a Country Priest. (laughs) Yes, we have watched that. Yes. Chris, you can do a synopsis. I've done the last two. Oh, fine. Okay. uh, (laughs) Setting up for the tone of this episode. Uh, The film tells the story of a young priest who has come to a small country village to take over the parish there. Uh, He's met with kind of a little bit of animosity and kind of uh, contentious relationships from the locals, which uh, in turn causes him to have a crisis of faith, I guess. Mm. That's the real simple blanket synopsis. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Uh, already. Oh, yeah, played by uh, Claude Layden. Yes. Who was, at the time, um, a non-professional actor. Yeah, so this this film apparently marked a giant kind of turning point in Robert Rousson's career where he would, because of this film and then later on in his career, would uh, mainly incorporate non-professional actors or non-actors into his films. To get a kind of sense of realism. Yeah. Let, let's talk about him, actually, before we get into the film. Because the film is, um, I suppose, a very spiritual, religious film. Yep. But he himself is not particularly religious, I found. Mm. Uh, some people say... I don't know. It's kind of... It's hard to pinpoint, really. Because some people say he's he's agnostic. Uh, some people say that he's he was religious and believed in God. Mm-hmm. Uh, you but, could definitely say that yeah. his films... Like a lot of his films tackle like religious themes, so it's definitely important to him. Um, so, and he did he did grow up um, in the Catholic school. I think he went to. So yeah, it's kind of almost hard not to be religious back then. So sure. exactly. Yeah. But um, I mean, the idea of like him, like you said, possibly being not really like you know. To put it simply, like, not that religious, we'll say, but using the story of a priest and, like, still acknowledging that within telling a story about a priest having a crisis of faith is inherently interesting character study Mm -hmm. or an an arena to have a character study within. Well, I think, yeah, that's right. And and I was trying to, I mean, you and I are not very religious people. No. And so I was, while I was watching it, I was struggling to connect uh, with this story because um, I mean I recognise that the film technically is brilliant mm-hmm. the lighting is fucking great the yeah the, the yeah cinematography the choice of when and where do you use music as well I thought was really interesting the shot choices I mean uh, a lot of close ups on Claude's face uh, which him in itself is a very stern character not a lot of emotion um, but there's a lot of shots of just like extreme close ups just watching him react um, to to the animosity of this this town around him, mm. uh, but it's also like the the close ups as well of him. You, like it's not just him kind of staring and reacting. It's also like there's something in his eyes about like you can see him really processing and trying to figure out. And he does a great job, like conveying someone who has a lack of faith or is going through a kind of crisis of faith, and that's kind of. Um, 
like like you were saying, like neither of us are very religious, but I was. It's still such a universal thing that you can kind of latch onto the idea of struggling with something that you uh, inherently be- like had a belief in that is kind of shaken or you know you're being tested to some degree. That's right. I was trying to tackle it. Like, oh, because if I'm not religious, how can I apply yeah. the situation to 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 my own? Standards of living, I suppose. Like yeah. Ideology, um, ideologies. Yeah. Really. And so basically on the, the the concept is how does one deal with a what seems to be um, a cruel society around them based off their own standards of living? Yeah. Um, uh, it kind of sounds odd to start talking about this film in a non-religious sense, but... But I'm fine with approaching it from that prism because, like you said, neither of us are very religious, and I think, as I said, like you brought up as well, Robert Bresson might not be like from what you were saying is not that religious a person. It seems, and it it just inherently it's an interesting place to examine a character. It doesn't matter that he's a pr- a priest having a crisis of faith. He could be an artist without inspiration. Like you know, it, it's just that inherent. Think of something you are passionate about or an ideology, as you said, being shaken, and how does one deal with that? But he's just approaching it in the prism of a priest having a crisis. Well, yes, but I mean, going even beyond the fact that we're not that religious, I can't even. I mean, I'm not. I haven't grown up around this sort of stuff, yeah. around priests and all that sort of thing. So, to me, it might as well be a fucking. Astronaut who it, it might as well be like an African tribal tale. You yeah. know what I mean? Like so disconnected from it. Like, you're, you're that far removed from the scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, and I should maybe explain that. So uh, this guy has come into a town that practices uh, religion in the sense they go to church and they pray, uh, but it seems to be superficial. Like they're kind of just acting it out as opposed to living it. There's there's uh, people that are happy to gossip about it behind the priest's back, saying he's an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a result of, of him having a, a stomach condition. I was going to say, this is back-to-back films, stomach cancer films. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, the stomach cancer. That's right. So, uh, yeah, shit. Now I've also lost my... Sorry, I derailed you there. Um... Superficial nature of the townspeople and their religion that uh, they are uh, happy to kind of have a bitch out about him and behind his back, like complain that he's an alcoholic. Um, the count who is having a, an affair. Yep. Um, and the countess who, I mean, the countess who's lost her son. Uh, who is. And is kind of still mourning and she's detached completely and doesn't care that she, I mean, she's aware that the count is having an affair, but she doesn't care about that. Yeah. Um, it's almost like she's kind of detached from society completely. Yeah. Um, in a state of mourning. But what's clear is that these people are practicing religion without actually having a, a, a real. They're going through the motions as opposed to actually believing or practicing. Well, going, they're not. Yeah, I mean, like the priest is. The priest doesn't have a name in the film. We're just calling him the priest. Yeah. Uh, he's trying to get be a good person. He's trying to be a good priest, practice the the word of God, whatever you want to call it, love, compassion, um, helping people, 
uh, out of suffering. He's trying to do this with the uh, with the Countess, for example. Um, but all of these people are not good people, and so taking that outside of like a religious context, I I had this disconnection mm-hmm. because. Um, because without the religious aspect of the film, it's just a guy that wants to be good and help people. And everyone, just, everyone else is just a dickhead. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it seemed like the film was saying that they're dickheads because they shouldn't, they're, they're not religious, even though they act religious. Whereas to me, it's like, well, uh, can't you be good but despite religion at all? Yeah, you're you're trying to unpack this in like It's kind of romantic. The, the moral, the moral message of the film you're kind of hypothesizing should exist even re- with removing religion from the equation. You should be able to to get the same kind of yeah, it message kinda, out of it. it. It was it was kind of weird to me because it kind of romanticized religion, especially like the suffering. Um, for example, he you know, the Countess dies. Uh, and a rumor is spread that he tormented the priest tormented this woman mm. um, when in fact he actually comforted her yeah and she she helped her with in a religious her, sense her yeah. soul was kind of reborn again before she died and she died in peace but she doesn't he suppresses her that knowledge everybody else thinks that hey um, this guy actually tormented her in a moment of moments before death and he's happy to be silent about that and I was like I don't think that has necessarily anything to do with religion I think that is more telling of him as a character and as a person the fact that he like in in the same way and that's kind of what I got out of that entire storyline of having the countess kind of wallowing in her grief and her sadness it's using that to kind of mirror what he is doing in the situation of the country town that he's like in that he he could just as easily try and explain his actions and like what was going on in that situation to get out of it but instead he feels he needs to kind of sacrifice like you know that self-sacrifice without wallowing himself in there yeah but that's what I mean about the romantic it's trying to romanticize that suffering but uh, like religion I mean if say I mean he's drinking he's drinking wine and he's eating bread yeah he's he's going you know at the end he dies he's kind of like a Jesus figure right yeah yeah and it's trying to romanticize that whole I'm gonna die for your sins kind of thing I don't think it's necessarily romanticizing religion it's it's using it as a way to help him as a character as a person trying to connect with the thing that is his calling in life like he he's having a crisis of faith and he's falling out of love with Jesus and the church and so by putting himself in a situation that is likening himself or like you know what I'm trying to say like getting him into those scenarios of being like a martyr or you know connecting deeply with the you know similar situations that Jesus was found I don't think it's necessarily saying exemplifying that but it's a way for him to try and reconnect with the church. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I was certainly feeling disconnected, certainly halfway, even two-thirds into the film. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And and it was for those reasons, I suppose. But uh, the the way that the, his story arc of trying his best to free these people from their own sufferings, internal mm-hmm. sufferings... Uh, and his 
I mean, in most of the sense, he fails, really. Like, he succeeds with the Countess, but he has to leave the town. Yep. Because it's just unbearable. And he's effectively failed at his job. He's, he's failed to connect as a priest, as a godly person, to these people at large. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a tragedy, right? But do you think that it's an overall statement of, like, he, he necessarily didn't do succeed in his job or it's the pointing out that not everyone is as willing to accept that I guess well like it wasn't necessarily yeah, his ha- fault that he failed at his job it was no. the other it was the, pe- the townspeople being so exactly yeah exactly and I think that's the, what I should focus on when I'm trying to figure out what this film is going for yeah um, yeah the question is you know what how do you take a man that's tried so hard and failed to help people? Is it his fault? Is it because there's that town is just so full of cruelty and, and it's really not a, a community that's out for it to, to help each other? No. Everyone's kind of selfish in their own little way. Yeah, you get no sense that there's a community there or there's, you know, anyone's really friendly with anyone else. They are very kind of isolated and, yeah. So it's more like... This guy has his his ideals have the cruel world has basically fucked his ideals up. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's gone in with best intentions, and an outside force has broken him, and he's just had to leave. I mean, to the point where he's like, "I have cancer now, and I'm going to go off and die." Yeah. Um, I don't know what to really make of that. I don't know. Uh, it's not an upbeat film. No, I mean it's. <laughs> Similar to, I, I reckon it's similar in many ways to, to kind of Bergman stuff. Yeah, oh, very much. So. I was getting real reminiscence of uh, Winter's Light, Winter Light, and things like. Uh, yeah, multiple yeah. levels. The, the themes discussed. It's pretty morbid shit. It's often just tragic. Yeah. Uh, visually, there's all these high contrasts of black and, and white, um, kind of stark. Yeah. The forests, the the people's homes are. Um, there's just a lot of starkness going on visually. The mud, the wet, the... Yeah, it's just very bleak and... Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. Yeah. Which is fine. I mean, like, when I'm going into a Bergman film, I do expect that to, to feel a little bit empty. Yeah. I I was... Yeah, I had never seen this film before and um, was not expecting it to be as kind of much of a bleak kind of examination <laughs> as it was. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Mm. Me neither. I mean, it's, let's say... It's, you know, it's based off a book uh, that's highly successful. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I know, the adaptation is very, very honest to the book. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I think we're, I was always going to struggle trying to figure this one out. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's also like, I mean, obviously, listeners, you can tell that neither of us were the biggest fans of this film but it, it's and before we started recording we were saying it, it, this is going to be one of those episodes where we have to it, it's the acknowledging that it's a very well made film but just for some reason it didn't it didn't land for us and how like then the difficulty with coming to try and analyse and dissect that <laughs> I, I had the same problem um, say with like the seventh seal yes like you know, it, that's a religious film and you're talking about heady, deep. Uh, well, you know, un- at the bottom of it, it's it's human morality and t- struggling with you know death and legacy, whatever you want to call it. All, all these things that, that religion is also discussing. Mm. Um, but for me, there's always a, 
it's just my fault. I feel like it's my fault. There's a barrier between a, a traditionally Catholic film or religious film. Um, or something examining, like, something that is inherent... Or a story that's in steeped in that, I guess. Belief, you know, like, yeah. just in general belief. I've always struggled with it. Yeah. Um, just because I can't relate, really. So, like, even on a... Like, stripping that all of that away, you still had, ish- like, a tough time connecting with the priest as a character, as a man kind of struggling with a loss, just in general, we'll say. Um... No, I can, I mean, I can, in the end, I could connect with him in the, the idea that he's trying to be a good person and help people. Yeah. Um, and he just couldn't because these people don't want to help themselves. Yeah. I mean, they wanted to just, you know, your, this, this priest is coming in there and fucking, um, fucking up their headspace. It's, it's, it's a very, sorry, interrupting, but, um, it's a very kind of almost nihilistic approach to acceptance of others where like you know and I guess that is a massive kind of religious idea as well like you know but it's because I'm blanking on how the film actually ends but there's like a phrasing of uh, sort of him accepting like that it's this is how it was always going to be and this is how it's always going to be it's very kind of nihilistic and he's just accepting of his fate and just kind of comes back into religion at the end of his life, having real, like having the realization of, Oh, this wasn't my fault. The, that I wasn't able to connect with these people. It's just how it was meant to be. That doesn't necessarily mean that I don't have faith in myself or in my God. And so he kind of ends on a kind of a beatish, if not nihilistic note. Well, I, the ending is, uh, Narrated like a, by the elder priest. Yeah, and there's like from some, the other town. And I'm tr- I wish I had it written down in front of me, but there was like it's something that he said. I'll see if I can find it here. So yeah, we just looked up what he does say. It's his last words before he, he dies uh, from stomach cancer. Mm. And the the priest uh, across the way in another town that he'd been chatting to um, with has been is absolving him of of all of his. Anguish, I suppose. Yeah. He's giving him absolution. Yeah. Yeah. Before he goes. So, the last words of the priest is, what does it matter? All is grace. Yeah. So... Which is just an overall uh, understanding and acceptance of... In his eyes, it's all all God's love. This is all what it was meant to be. Like... So he can is, see the hatred, like the animosity in the townsfolk, and under, and have a now understanding of that's just what it is. That's just God's will. That's you know. It's all part of it. It's all part of it. It's all part of the grand plan. Yeah, but and there's nothing he could do or say or to change it. That was just it, that's what it was. That's my interpret. That's my nihilistic interpretation. I guess. Yeah, still don't know what to do with that because. You know, I mean, he is just going, oh, fuck it. <laughs> like, in a sense, he's going, oh, fuck it, whatever. On his deathbed, he's, I'm like, dying. repenting almost. Yeah. yeah. It's either, it's like the same, everything matters and nothing matters. Yeah. Do you know, it's like... So why did I bother having a crisis of faith and letting tro- this kind of yeah. rock me? Which is kind of an almost, you turn around at the end of the movie, you're like, well, why did I watch the two hours of this film? <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, that was harsh. Why? I don't know. Like, that's kind of... That's, I mean, it is funny in a way that you said that. Which makes me wonder, like, if it is a... Because this is an older film, obviously, the that you can't have such a bleak ending, especially with dealing with something based around a, you know, priesthood and religion and things, having someone just be, like, die with a crisis of faith and not knowing if God is real and it's just kind of wallowing in sadness. You can't necessarily end a film like that. You've got to be like, but it all doesn't matter, it's fine. Well, I don't know. I kind of like this ending. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because you don't... We spent time with the priest and we've seen the hardship that, that he's going through. You don't want him to end his life wallowing in sadness. You want him to have that same arc that he met it, he was able to give the Countess, where it's a kind of a, a, a relief from that guilt and that sadness. You want that to happen to him, and so that's why... So the alternative ending is, say, um, he gives peace to the Countess before she dies. Everyone recognises that, and he's now, like, you know, stays for good because everyone says, hey, the priest is okay. That's the Disney ending. That's the Disney ending. That's the Disney ending. But this one instead, it is... Him doing his job to the best, like, to, to the, the best perf- of his ability. And to the perfect degree that he was able to help this woman free her soul, give her eternal peace, and then she dies. But he's met with such animosity and everyone thinking he did the polar opposite of that, which is kind of shakes him to his core, which then, like, you know, he then has his crisis of faith. You want him to have that same arc at the end where... A kind of a recognition and a kind of a, the you want the weight lifted off this man's shoulders at the end, so it's kind of nice. But it's it's just I think it, 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 that does happen in death. Yeah, and I think we're having a hard time kind of acknowledging or grappling with that because we've had this entire like I'd say like an hour forty of this hour fifty long film being told through the narration of his diary and his diary entries and him narrating the film and telling us his story. This last 10 minutes, he is too sick to be writing his diary, so all of a sudden we're switching narrator and this is all happening off screen. Mm-hmm. And we're no longer being presented with... So it's a kind of... It's the shift of the narrative focus at the very end. It's kind of jarring. And it's it, it's done it so... And it's done so quickly. Unlike last week with, with Ikaru, where you had that similar kind of twist. We're taking a, a protagonist is dying and we're going to have his final elements of his journey, journey told by someone else. But it, it's done in such a protracted way in Ikaru where we, we sit with it for a long enough period of time that you adjust as an audience and you can connect with it and you can kind of digest it a little bit easier. But, that's, but that film does something very different. It's over, over the course of the last 40 minutes or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, it's almost like the community was cruel and they are through Ikaru's death. Uh, I like that you're just calling him Ikaru. <laughs> well, I can't, yeah, yeah, I can't remember his name. What's his name? Uh, Yamamoto? Yamamoto? Something no, like that, yeah. Let's call him Ikaru. Yeah. I've forgotten his, even though the film was fucking amazing. Uh, I forgot it. So anyway, um, through that 40 minutes, the cruel town, the cruel city, these, these bureaucrats are warming up to him and unpacking their shittiness and becoming good yeah um i mean it's a bit more complex complex towards the very end of the yeah yeah but I, I get what you're saying yeah but with this <clears throat> no one really changed except for the countess who died yep everybody else is still shitty uh it still doesn't really want to get to the the truth of human existence if you want to call it that uh 
so you're you're left with a downbeat. The only thing you can take from this ending that is good is that the priest died peacefully. He smiled, which you really don't see him do ever in the film. I think there's like maybe once when he's leaving the town. Every other time he's completely emotionless or crying. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how to take it. At least it is a challenging film um, in the sense of, you know, how, how do you deal with cruelty all around you that is unchanging? Yeah. You can either let that destroy you or you can kind of rise above it, I guess. But he left the town. He didn't rise above it. Mm. He went off and he died. But but I think he, even even though he left the town, he was still wallowing in the fa- in thinking that he had failed. Mm. And then I like my take is my read was that on his deathbed he kind of realized like oh, fuck those guys. <laughs> Essentially, like does it matter? All is grace, he says. Yeah. All is the grace of God. All is God. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, fuck but it. But I don't know what... Again, it keep coming back to the, my, the fact that I'm not a religious person. Yeah. And I don't read the Bible. I've got no idea what the fuck is going on in that sense. So just to say, what does it matter? All is grace. All is God. Mm. It's kind of meaningless to me. So I, I don't... Um, I obviously don't understand the film. <laughs> <laughs> Being honest with you. Uh <laughs> But I still, I still have, I still have enjoyed it, uh, as it has fucking challenged me for sure. Yeah, and like we we're saying, it is beautiful black and white cinematography. Uh, the use of lighting is superb. Like Tom had already brought up, like very reminiscent of some Bergman things. Um, yeah, Winter Lights, Seven Seal in particular. But yeah, and I do like Bresson's approach approach of let's take an actor that's unprofessional. Mm. Um doesn't really know how to perform in an actor's sense, like dramatic acting and whatever. Which kind of works because in in the same way, like it's representing of the character of someone being thrown into a situation that they are uncomfortable, unknowing how to deal with and just going for it. And I read that he's very much kind of almost cruel to his actors. Yeah. He just does takes over and over again until they have no showmanship left and it's a very true response to the situation he just breaks them down yeah I mean a lot of them are unprofessional actors in their first time acting and they would really never go back to acting Mm. Uh, Um, Claude Claude actually he was um, it's such a such a tragic sad story so so full on but he was he ended up being a host of a children's program really yeah that's kind of cool I don't know if he did much acting in film, but he ended up being a, a host of a children's program in any case. Mm-hmm. Well, on the note of uh, Brisson and like his directing methods, I've actually got a couple of quotes from the DVD commentary. Okay. Um, apparently, Claude felt repelled by Robert Brisson's uh, directing methods. Uh, he claimed Brisson uh, would work on an actor like a sculptor models his clay. Uh, the commentary also says that Brisson worked with Claude every Sunday for a year, persuading him gradually into the role. Uh, he lived for many weeks with a group of young priests, absorbing their mannerisms and their gestures before shooting. And uh, sorry, and before shooting, he starved himself so that he could acquire the authentic masks of undernourishment and illness. So yeah, yeah, he got really. It, pushed. There's no question that it's an incredible performance. Yeah, uh, especially from a person that that you know is new to being in front of a camera it's really 
crazy how much he can get away with given that he's trying not to show too much emotion. Mm. And it was pretty awesome, actually. He was nominated for a BAFTA for it, actually. Okay. As a first-time actor and non-professional actor, kind of people actually acknowledged that, damn, you did a good job, buddy. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm torn because... I didn't connect with the film, but I but, I really like a lot of a lot of things about it. But that's fine. Like that, ha- that, I mean, I think it's just we're struggling this time with it because, like I said, I said before we started recording, like we've come off of a streak of just almost ten films where we've just absolutely loved and connected with every single one of them. That now we're play we're in a situation where it's a well made film, but neither of us really liked it, and you just like you can't. You can't have your cake and eat it too, I guess. Like, you can't win them all, I guess. That's right. Yeah. Sometimes I'm in over my head, for sure. Yeah. And it's like the acknowledgement of, like, it's fine, and I get that some people must connect to this on an insanely deep level, and that's great, but just for us, it didn't didn't land. Mm. Yeah. Do you want to hear some trivia? Okay. <laughs> uh, so, as I mentioned, uh, Claude uh, Ledoux was nominated for BAFTA for Best Foreign Actor at the 1954 BAFTA Awards. Uh, the film was listed as a top foreign film by the National Board of Review, and it won four awards at the 1951 Venice Film Festival, the International Awards for both Robert Bresson and Best Cinematography, uh, the Italian Film Critic Award, and the OCIC Award. Uh, it's also included in Roger Ebert's list of great movies. Yes, you fucking that, that, again, it just irritates me that I don't connect with it then. That's fine, though. Okay. The, the, you what? don't have to like everything. Like, no, I mean, no. Roger Ebert didn't like Blue Velvet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's my ultimate, like, not everything's for everyone. Yeah. Well, if there's any listeners that have insight and they say, no, it's good for this reason. Yeah, please let us know. Because I, I I give a shit about this movie. I just don't, I just don't think I was, I had the ability to explore it fully for some reason. Probably yeah. because I'm not religious at all. No, that, yeah, like, that, I, I very much uh, echo that. Like, please let us know. If, if you watch this film, you connected with it, you were able to unpack it on a deeper level and things, please let us know your thoughts and what it's all about love to hear um and the other little bits of trivia this was a, uh, reportedly uh, Andre Tarkovsky's favourite film uh uh-huh. oh, yeah no shit <laughs> alright um and the main character's bizarre unhealthy eating habits uh, not to mention his obsessive isolation and loneliness were reportedly a major influence on the character of Travis Bickle in Taxi Driver okay yeah uh thought that was some trivial interesting trivia but that's about it Alright. We'll move on to the actual Criterion edition itself. Uh, so the film is out of print from Criterion, uh, but if you're able to track down the DVD, it comes with audio commentary by film historian Peter Cowie, as well as a booklet and essays, and that's it. <laughs> like, okay. no features on this one. That's fine. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of a pretty obscure in, in the sense of it's an international French film from the 50s. Yes. Um... Yeah. Anyway, that's fine. Yep. Uh, I'm not a critic. I'm not, I'm not here to be a critic. No, you're I'm here he- to experience the Criterion Collection. Exactly. You're, you're here to just see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I guess that'll wrap us up for Diary of a Country Priest. Um, as we said, please let us know your thoughts and things. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com or uh, through Facebook by finding the Criterion Quest or on Twitter at Criterion Quest. All of that shit <laughs> you know where to find us we'd love to hear from you otherwise we will we may be back in a fortnight we may not you probably will yeah we're colin and i are having a baby yes very soon any day now so we'll see how we're going but um, my intention is that we'll 
be fine. Yes. We'll be able to put an episode out soon. Well, so it might it might be Fortnite, might be longer. We'll, we'll wait. We'll kind of see how how you would call it going. I guess. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, regardless, our next episode is uh, going to be a Barbe Schroeder film again. Uh, okay. He was the guy that made the documentary Idi Amin. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're jumping across to one of his uh, fictional films now, non-documentary, uh, called Matrice. Okay. Have you seen this? I have not. It. I know it is about a, it stars Gerard Depardieu. Yeah. And it involves BDSM. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> I, I did look up briefly to be like, is it modern day Gerard Depardieu? Like big old fat stinky <laughs> drunk man who pisses on airplanes? <laughs> or, because <laughs> I don't want to watch that. <laughs> did you hear about that? He, he got no. uh, drunk on an airplane and just decided to piss all over the aisle. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, okay. What a man. <laughs> um, but anyway, that that's our next one. I don't know. We'll we'll find out, I guess. Can't so, wait. Yeah, BDSM for the win. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, for this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Tom. See you next time. <laughs>